everybody. You have a friend of God? Are you a friend of His? Amen. God is good and merciful. We did not forget about birthdays for September, but we are actually going to celebrate that next Wednesday for September, even though it's the first week of October. Is that okay? Praise the Lord. I thank you for allowing us to be a little bit flexible. So we have not forgotten. So we will sing you happy birthday next week. For all of you, in fact, half a dozen of them are all in the Linfers family. So God is good. It has been a pleasure to see Brother Scott up here from Colorado. We love you, Brother Scott. We do. We think about you. We pray for you often. And you are part of this family. And we miss you while you're gone, but we're so glad to see you when you're here. Sad when you go. But I'm looking forward to when you come back. So, God bless you. Did you want to preach today? Just checking. I'm just messing with my good friend. Amen. I appreciate his faithfulness to the house of the Lord on vacation. He's here with his mom and joining us, so thank you. Um, I'm excited about what God is doing. I really am. October is appreciation month to our pastor and his wife, and it's just just a drop in the drop in a bucket that we get a chance to say how much we appreciate them. If you can't hear me, tell me so. And um, we hope that you'll be involved in that and uh, the month of October. So without further ado, I'm going to start tonight, and Brother Brad is going to finish. Looking forward to that. And so if you will turn with me in your Bibles to the second book of Corinthians, chapter 10, the verse we used just recently, starting at verse number 3, and we're going to read through verse 5, so I won't let you stand much longer. It says, if you don't have your Bible up on the screen, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word tonight, your people. We thank you for your presence, and we ask you to have your way, God. We leave you perfect reign and ability, God, to do what you see fit in this service, God. We're not putting you in a box. We're not predetermining the outcome of tonight, whether it's teaching or preaching. We're available, God, for your word. We're available for your word. Someone say in Jesus' name. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you for lengthy standing. I want to preach about this thought, unconventional weaponry. Unconventional weaponry. The word unconventional, according to Webster, is something that's being out of the ordinary. That really is out of the box. Unconventional weaponry. It would be like when Samson used a jawbone of a donkey 
to slay a thousand people. That's unconventional. That's God working a miracle in Judges 15, 15. It's like when they took the valley when being pursued by the Moabites to be slain. They were outnumbered greatly. In 2 Kings 3.16, God told them, you dig some ditches. That's unconventional weaponry. When Gideon and 300 men took a trumpet and a pitcher and a lamp and went against innumerable amounts of Midianites, Brother Colin, that's unconventional weaponry. Or how about in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 40, where young David, a shepherd boy, took a staff and five smooth stones and a shepherd's bag and took on a Philistine champion. And he slayed him. Unconventional weaponry, Brother Brad. We're in a warfare, church. We are. You say, well, you talked about that last week. Well... I don't know, just want to tell you what I feel like God's given me. Carnality against spirituality. We're in a warfare. The battle is set in array. That's what happened when they were there, the Philistines and the Israelites on one side, they was in array. It means it was already set up to go. But no one would fight the champion. But David said, is there not a cause? I'll fight him. I'm not going to sit back and be intimidated by the devil any longer. I'm not going to let him ruin my life, ruin my family, ruin my children, take control of my community, my neighborhood. And it's going to take unconventional weaponry to beat him. The pulling down of strongholds, the casting down of imaginations, bringing into captivity every high thing that stands or opposes God and his purpose. Matthew 18, 18 says, Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Somebody say amen. amen. Whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's unconventional warfare. Binding and loosing is what the church needs to exercise more often than it has in the past. Some people have a hold of that principle and some do not yet. But I hope before we're done tonight that you'll understand that you have the power to bind things that bother you. You have the power to loose things that need to be loosed in your life. Prayer, it's what takes, it takes prayer to equip a soldier to make him into a warrior, Brother Walter. You can put all the armor on you want, Brother David, but if there's not prayer involved in that, then you're nothing more than a big old target. David took Saul's armor and put it on, and I'm sure it was the best that you could buy because he was the king of Israel. He put that stuff on, and, and, and he just looked at it, and Brother Carlos, he said, I haven't proved this. I haven't tried to see if it works for me. But I know what works for me. I got a God who with his angels watches over me. I've got a God who's in my corner, who's in my field, who's in my house. David said, it's just me and God. 
and we got a cause and we're going against Goliath. We're the ones who labeled him a, a giant. We would look at him and say, he's a giant, but we didn't write it. He was just a champion. means that he was not only big, but he was the best of the best. Don't forget that. It just it wasn't because he was big and intimidating. It's because he practiced what he did. And he was the best that the Philistine had to offer. So you put that armor on, it's important that you do. Brother Robbie talked about that the other day. Ephesians chapter 6, put on the whole armor of God, 6 and 11. Put it on. But he said, verse 18, you need to pray. After you get the armor on, you need to pray. Prayer is what makes a warrior. Prayer is what makes a difference, church. Acts 6.4 says, give ourselves continually to prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Continue in prayer, Colossians 4 verse 2. We're to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In 2 Timothy 2 verse 3. And the way we endure it is through prayer. When you don't feel good, Prayer is what will make the difference for you not giving up. I think too many people are, are counting on the fact that they've got some talent, that when the end times come, as they are coming, that they're going to be able to bluff their way. They're going to be able to uh, uh, think that their perfect Pentecostalism will make a difference. Are you kidding? The devil could care less about your Pentecostalism. What he cares about is when you got a prayer life. What he cares about is when you're on your knees and you're on your face seeking the presence of God. That's what a warrior makes. Making of a warrior. Luke 18.1 says, Men ought always to pray and not to faint. Unconventional weaponry. Luke twenty two forty six 46 says, Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Watch and pray, Matthew 26, verse 41. The difference between a weak Christian and an effective Christian, meaning a sayer and a doer. My workplace is filled with people who claim to be Christians, and they talk about how much they drank that on the weekend or whether or not they were watching this illicit movie or this or that. They say one thing and they do another. But when the church of the living God, the bride of Christ, when they say, I want to be a Christian, then there's a prayer that begins to simmer in their heart. That's the difference. It's prayer. James 5.16 says it's the effectual Fervent prayer of the righteous man that availeth much. Brother Justin, it's not going to be just a couple patty cakes on Sunday or Wednesday night. I mean, I'm glad people do. If that's the only time you pray is just before service on the service nights, I'm thankful you do. I'm thankful you come and get involved in that because that makes a difference whether or not you receive the Word of God. It makes a difference. But somewhere along the way, we've got to get outside of what just plain religious boxism is. I am a Christian. I am religious. But prayer takes you out of that box. 
And all of a sudden you'll step out in faith and say, in Jesus' name. I believe in the healing power, Brother Colin. Not stepping out on your own ability or your own talent. You're stepping out in a promise from the Word of God. Did you know in John 14, 13, Whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that I that, that will I do. I was thinking another verse. I apologize. Whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do. In Matthew 21, 22, and all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. In 7, 7 of Matthew, ask and it shall be given. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Is anybody hearing me today? That's not just for the ministry. That's not just for the pastor and his wife. That's for every one of us. You can ask, Sister Odie, and God will hear your prayer. Time would not permit for me to tell you all the scriptures where it says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Attend unto my cry. Do you hear my prayer? Have you heard my petition? And always the answer is yes. I hear what you're saying child of mine yes James 4 verse 2 says we have not because we ask not God bless my precious sister she said something the other night while my wife and I were talking she said it's so easy to ask God to, to help my son my daughter my friend my family my loved ones my brother, my sister, you know you know the deal. You've all felt that, but I just don't feel right asking for myself. That seems, it seems like it's not right. Ah, uh, church, that's the farthest from the truth. You can ask things for yourself. Don't ask amiss. Don't ask to win the, the Reader's Digest lottery or whatever it may be, and then that's going to help pay off the parking lot paving when you can't put $5 in the offering plate. It doesn't work that way. I've heard that so many times. If I just won, I would do this. No, you wouldn't. When you had a dollar to give, you didn't give. I pray God not give it to you if it meant backsliding and sliding away and turning from God. Don't give me one cent more than I can handle, God. Not one cent more. Haven't because we don't ask for it. Second Corinthians I'm sorry, 1 Chronicles 7, verse 14. 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. If my people, you all know this, which are called by my name. That's you. That's me. Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. What's he saying in the common English? He said, I'll hear your prayers and I'll up you one. <laughs> Come on. All you want is transportation. Uh, I'm thinking a 10-speed would be nice. And he says, I'm going to give you a car, buddy, because you didn't ask for a Cadillac. I've seen so often where God has just outdone, outdone, outdone. I'm going to stay on track. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is absolutely powerful. Your prayer is powerful. Your prayer. 
unconventional weaponry. You want to fight against the devil. You want to fight the princes and the, uh, the powers of this air and this community. Then prayer is what's going to make a difference. It's nothing to do with technology. Nothing to do with that, though technology has its place in the kingdom. There are things we can do and benefit from that. But when we spend more time playing Sudoku and solitaire, then we spend time seeking God's face, then we have missed the will of God. Technology has, has robbed us of the most powerful thing available to mankind. Take what you know and use it. Psalms 141 verse 2 says, Let my prayer be set before thee as incense. He hear the prayer of the righteous, Proverbs 15, 29. This fight, this battle needs to be fought with unconventional warfare, unconventional weaponry. When we pray, when the church prays, things happen in the spiritual realm. Well, I don't feel anything. Trust me. Things happen in the spiritual realm when the church begins to pray. When the church gathers together as a body, things happen. I, 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 want, I could tell you numerous times where you come into a service and didn't have a chance to pray, but the bodies, people were praying, and God was preparing an atmosphere from your busy workplace and all the troubles you're going through to allow you a word from God. Unconventional weaponry. Things happen. The enemy... Our enemy, the devil, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. When you pray, it puts a hedge of protection all around you. I'm telling you what, the devil does not like people who pray. He doesn't want to mess with people who pray. Every time that demons encountered Jesus, they said, ooh, they took a step back. Uh, what do we have to do with thee? Why are you here? Uh, I recognize you're not just one of those guys that say you pray. You pray. You cast demons out. You send them into the pigs, Brother Tolston. That's what you do. You have the ability to bind and to loose. He's looking to devour anyone who's not ready. But he can't when you allow prayer. To be what drives you and drives me. In closing, 2 Corinthians 10, again, verses 3 through 5. I want to read it in the Amplified. It says, for though we walk or live in the flesh, we're not carrying on our warfare according to the flesh. Prayer is nothing. It's a battle of the flesh because your flesh doesn't want to. But your spouse is not your enemy. Your, your boss is not your enemy. That neighbor that gives you all kinds of fussing and, and fiddling around and just bothers you to know, I'm, they're not your enemy. Our enemy is him, that the devil. I'm not pointing to Jesus. I'm saying it's the devil. It's, his, it's everything that stands that's evil. And he's not flesh, but he manifests himself in fleshly forms. So we're not carrying on our warfare according to the flesh and using mere human 
weapons. Verse 4, for the weapons of a warfare are not physical, weapons of flesh and blood, but they are mighty before God. For the overthrow, did you hear that? For the overthrow and destruction of strongholds. And the last verse, inasmuch as we refute arguments and theories and reasonings and every proud and lofty thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. And we lead every thought and purpose away captive into the obedience of Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Unconventional weaponry. Put on your loins and gird them with truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Let your feet be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Put on the helmet of salvation. Grab that shield of faith. And don't forget the sword, the word of God. And then it's time to pray. It's time to make a difference. Prayer is your unconventional weaponry. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Right along those same notes, prayer is the most valuable weapon you can possibly have. It really is. You, you, can, you can talk to demons. You can do whatever you want. But until you pray to a God, He's the one that holds power. There's nothing going to happen. I remember several years ago, I had an encounter with what I thought was going to be a person. So I reached over and grabbed the pistol, ran downstairs to, to find nobody but to find cabinet doors moving on their own. I come back upstairs and said, it's nobody, it's, it's a spirit, I don't know. She said, you grabbed the wrong weapon, which is the truth in the matter. That pistol wasn't going to do nothing, but prayer can cast out demons. Prayer can literally rip down strongholds. We've got to pray, church. We can't count on our neighbor to pray for us, our pastor to have a prayer life for us, our mother, our father, our wife, our husband. We've got to have our own prayer life every single day. Hallelujah. Amen. You don't have to stand for this, but John 10.10 10 says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy, I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. For this next few minutes, I'd like to talk right along the same lines as Brother Plale, and I had no idea what he was preaching, but right along the same lines, I'd like to talk about an assassination attempt. The devil, since the beginning of time, is no secret that he hates God. It's no secret that he hates God. The church. It's no secret that he hates you. It's no secret that he hates the ministry. And it's no secret that he hates the word of God. Since the beginning of time, when he fell from grace, he has set into motion a plan to destroy the will of God. Not just in your life, not just in my life, not just in Palmer Pentecostal Church, but in Palmer, Alaska, period. He is set in motion to destroy the very existence of God in our community, in our lives, in our homes, in everything around us. He has set a plan in motion to destroy anything that pertains to God. 
from the Garden of Eden convincing Eve of the lesser repercussions of her disobedience to the first murder ever with her son Cain and Abel. He had a plan all in motion. It wasn't because he hated Abel. It wasn't because he thought Abel was better looking than Cain. It wasn't because he wanted to get Cain down on his luck. He had a bigger picture all along, and it started in the garden. And when Saul sought to slay David, he threw a javelin from mere feet away trying to kill him. Saul was a murderer. Saul was a ruthless killer in the field. They, they even said it. Saul has killed his thousands. He, he, he knew how to throw, throw a javelin. He knew how to wield a sword. He knew how to fight. And from mere feet, he throws a javelin at David and misses by a miracle. Why? Because the devil had a plan to destroy all along, but somehow a miracle happened. Somehow the devil just wanted to take you out. Somehow the devil wanted to take you out last month, last year, last week, last month, but somehow you're still standing. Somehow you're still here. Somehow you showed up. Somehow I made it to an altar. Why? Because God is going to interrupt an assassination attempt on his will in your life. Praise God. Had David, I said, had David been slayed that day? You ever thought about that? Had David actually taken the hit from that sword, uh, that, that spear, that javelin, and put him to a wall and went through his heart and killed him, had that actually happened? Anointed against anointed. He couldn't take, David was a, what, a killer of thousands, tens of thousands. Somehow, I'm pretty sure, in all those tens of thousands of battles he had been in, slaying people left or right, he should have died somehow in there. He could, I guarantee you he had a few flesh wounds. I guarantee you he had a few problems uh, that he came into contact with that somehow he was able to deflect or get away or dodge. He should have died at one point in the time, right? But the devil saw that and said, why didn't he die? I placed him under a thousand people and, and he was by himself. He had 20 men with him. How did it happen? He's still alive. That's fine. If I can't get the world to kill him, I'll have the anointed turn on the anointed. If I can't get you to die in the world, I'll get you to die right in your pew. If I can't get you to die out there to drugs and to alcohol, I'll turn you over to bitterness. I'll turn you over to hatred. I'll turn you over to slander. I'll turn you over to something against your brother. Why? Because he has an assassination attempt, a plan on your life, a plan that he wants to destroy Palmer. He wants to destroy Palmer Pentecostal Church. But well, we've come to tell him tonight his plan will not work. We've read the end of the book. He does not win. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. I don't know whose that is, but thank you. Praise God. Hallelujah, it's anointed. <laughs> Amen. But had there been no David, had he died that day, there would have been no Solomon. And had there been no Solomon because of this death of David, there would have been no Jehoshaphat. There would have been no Jehoshaphat, there would have been no Josiah. If Josiah didn't exist, there would have been no Achim down the line. Without Achim, there's no Jacob. 
Without Jacob, there's no Joseph. Without Joseph, there's no Jesus. You see what I'm trying to say here? It's not about the little picture you think your world is wrapped up in. You think you've been attacked, and you probably have. You think your world's falling apart, and it may be so. But the devil has a bigger picture in mind when he's throwing a sword and a javelin at you. It's not because he hates you. It's because he hates the will of God. And he sees that if I can take out Brother Stacy, I can take out Palmer. If I can take out Palmer, I can take out Anchorage. If I can take out Anchorage, I can take out Alaska. Why? Because he hates God. Hallelujah. What looks like a plan to divide in the present really masks a plan to completely remove what is coming in the future. You think it's all about that $20 you lost or that paycheck you missed or that argument you had with your brother or that situation you found in with your sister. You think it's all about that. But if for a few moments you don't mind broadening your mind and broadening the spectrum of what it possibly could be, the devil wants to destroy the anointing. The devil wants to destroy people who pray, people who fast, people who make a difference in the kingdom of God because he wants to see the revival that's been promised to this town completely annihilated. Assassination attempt. Since the beginning of time, you've been in the devil's mind. Oh, he's not all-knowing. You're right. Has nothing to do with you. Has everything to do with what you can do. If my people would humble themselves, if my people would pray, if my people would seek my face, if my people would turn from every wicked way, if my people, whose people are we? Whose people are we? Let me ask you tonight. The devil wants to destroy the people of God. He wants to destroy the kingdom of God. And if he's got to start on something small, he'll start there. Quit thinking it's about you. Quit thinking it's all about your world. It has nothing to do with you. And everything to do with revival. If I gave in every time I was under stress, if I gave up when the pressure was heated up, if the Hebrew children decided to bow right when the fire was about to get turned up, come on somebody, think about it. If you gave in right when you felt the pressure at work coming on from everybody around you, how do you think they're going to be one? How do you think your coworker is ever going to hear about Jesus? How do you think they're ever going to find themselves in an altar one day like you did if you give in before you ever tell them? He has a bigger plan in motion. He has a bigger play at hand. Hallelujah. 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 The voice that sounds like God speaking. The voice that sounds like God in your mind. Chances are it's possibly God. But the devil knows how to mimic. The devil knows how to fake things. He knows how to dress up just like the angels dressed. 
He knows how to show up in the middle of a service. He knows how to show up on a Tuesday night when you're stressed out of your mind and Wednesday's not coming yet. He knows how to show up when your wife has made you mad. He knows how to show up when your husband has completely ruined your day. He knows how to show up. And you think it's all about your marriage? It's not. If your marriage falls, their marriage falls. If their marriage falls, his marriage falls. It's the strengthening of the brethren. But if I'm weak, and he's weak, and he's weak, and you're weak, where are we going, church? Who's going to hold us up? He said, I prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when you're converted, strengthen the brethren, he said. Second Peter or something. Don't quote me on that part, but the words were exact. Praise God. Praise God. Assassination attempt. You think it's your duty to spread gossip when it's really not. You think it's your duty to, to tell on somebody when it's really not. You think it's your duty to tell when somebody fell when it's really your duty to uphold them. It's really your duty to say, why? Help. Come on, brother. Come on, sister. Let me pull you out of that mess. Let me get you where you need to be. If the church would start being the church, we wouldn't have to worry about the world in the church. Praise God. But the assassination attempt that he set in motion several thousand years ago still rolls its course. Still rolls its engines. Why? Because he's not giving up without a fight. He's not giving up without taking somebody with him. Two in the field, one should be left. Those numbers tell me there, out of a hundred people that sit among us, 50 would get lost. 50. I can understand one or two, it still hurts. But half? Half? That's, that's a quarter million people in Alaska. A quarter of a million people could die and go to hell tonight if we allow the assassination attempt from hell to run its course. I say it ran its course final for its last time. I say we put a stop to it tonight. I say we don't give the devil an inch. I say when he comes a-running, we close our ears. When he comes a-knocking, we don't answer the door. Why? He wants to destroy you, but he wants to destroy revival. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And as I'm coming to a close, the lady that was caught in the very act of adultery, the very act. I've heard Dad preach about this in the past year when he mentioned, well, where was the man at? I heard him say that. But the truth of the matter is, it wasn't about the woman at all. It was a concept. It was about putting Jesus on the spot. It was about putting Jesus in a hard position. Aha. He said, he said Lord, we, we, we found her in the middle of sin. And the law says to stone her. What are you going to say to do? And he, and he bends over and he starts to write in the dirt. The Bible doesn't tell us what he wrote. The Bible doesn't tell us. He's, he said, oh, but you, Timothy, you did this. And you... Uh, you, you, Marcus, you did that. Are you the, he, doesn't say, he doesn't say what he said. He could have said, I forgive you too. But all we know is when he began to write, they left. They left. And he says, woman, where are your accusers? And she looks around and says, I, I have none. I wonder what it would be like 
for once in a lifetime to sit in a church. And when God speaks that into your heart, you turn and look and go, I don't have any accusers here. I'm amongst brethren. I'm amongst sisters. But the devil wants to divide. And the problem is we can't give it all at an altar because we're so worried that the person next to us at an altar is a demon, is a snake, is someone who's going to turn on me, is someone who's going to run and tell what I just repented for. And we sit worried and we sit bound by addiction and bound by problems because we're afraid to let God even hear it. I'm not trying to beat the church up. I'm trying to tell the devil to get out. I'm trying to tell the devil he has no say in this congregation, in my heart, in your heart. Why? We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. 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 Stand with me. We've got hope. Praise God. Praise God. I don't know about you. But there has been many times in my life, and I'm being honest here, I'm opening up if that's okay, but there's been many times I came to an altar bound and I left bound because I was too embarrassed to say what I was coming for. I was too embarrassed to repent over what I was involved in the week before, the night before, the month before, the week before. God of heaven, I come against that spirit in the name of Jesus. Satan, close your ears. Satan, get out of here. I'm going to repent when I need to repent. And I'm going to tell the devil he can't do nothing with it because it's under the blood. It's under the blood. He went to Calvary so that I didn't have to, to live under condemnation. So that I did not have to live under scrutiny. Praise God. Praise God. I'm not asking you to run up here and scream out, I'm an alcoholic. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm not asking you to run up here and say, I cheated. I stole. If that's what you think, you've missed the entire message. What I'm telling you is quit fearing the devil. Quit fearing what he's going to do to you. And let him know what we're going to do to Palmer, to Anchorage, to Wasilla, to Sutton, to the Butte. We're going to start winning souls because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of where I'm at today. Hallelujah. Get out of your seat. Let's come to the front and let's put the devil under our feet. Let's let him know he has said his final